Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. This is Let's Do the Right Thing in association with RadioWorks. Presented and curated by Adam Hopkinson. Hello from the uh, studios of the wonderful people at Maple Street Creative in Soho. We started these podcasts with the mission to help people thinking about going it alone, doing the right thing with advice from those who have. One aspect that I neglected to cover when starting this was the perspective of the actual clients in advertising. What works for them, how, why, and what is the industry missing, etc. It feels like there is a natural bridge into client insight that would be to deliver an agency perspective. I'd like to talk today to Mark Connolly, Managing Partner of Client Success at the What's Possible Group. Hey Mark. Hello mate, how are you? I'm really good, thank you. Looking forward to hearing lots from you. It looks like marketing was in your blood from a relatively young age, um, starting off in July 1988, which ages us horribly, um, <laughs> as marketing manager for Blackwood Hodge. Um, and I know it ages us horribly because out of curiosity, I was wondering what was number one at the time. And in July 1988, Glenn Medeiros and Bross were the two number ones in that month. Well... Let me just put into context. Did where you buy I'm, them both? Oh, of course I did. It's going to save my love for you and whatever, Bross, when will I be famous? But where are they now? You and I are here talking, the, they are not in the studio. They, they are still on beaches somewhere, I think. Um, <laughs> but indeed, we, we, we are here and there is no place I would rather be. Um, so moving from there into the media side of things, gathering experience and TV at GMTV and Sky and perhaps getting closer to the consumer at Virgin Media and... Yahoo, uh, no, Oath, uh, I mean, no, Verizon, no, um, Yahoo, <laughs> and Adconian. And taking your learnings from there into agency side at MIG, although not really agency side fully yet. Bringing your understanding of the sales side, commercials, and audience patterns, behavior, into Havas, and then onto your own venture, Landmark Media, from which you sprung into now managing partner of What's Possible Group, running client success. All the while holding non-exec positions in various other companies. You've man, you've been busy. Just hearing that back is is extraordinary. And I think, you know, I'm incredibly proud of my career, but it sounds very structured and very thought out. And I think the reality is that I didn't even want to get into marketing and advertising. I kind of fell into it and then mm. kind of grew. Like most of us, I don't think anybody sat down, at least back in when Glenn Medeiros and Bross were in the charts and thought to themselves, you know, I want a career doing this. I had no idea about it. No, I, I had no idea at all. Absolutely no idea. I left school with very few qualifications and then uh, got uh, got into a marketing department at a local company, which just sort of took my fancy and took it from there. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm incredibly proud of my career um, and I love where I am right now. And I think all of the stuff, and I know we're going to get onto this, but I think... All of the stuff that I've done, client side, agency side, media owner side, technology side, individual consultancy side, all comes down to the same thing, which is putting the client first and understanding what they need mm -hmm. and then working out whether you're a media owner, whether you're an agency, whether you're an individual consultant, whether you're whichever part of the industry, working out what it is that's doing the right thing for them. Mm-hmm. With the ultimately with the client in mind, or with the person who's next along the chain. So, from a tech perspective, are you thinking about what delivers from the original client objectives, or are you thinking about what delivers from a DSP perspective, for example? Brilliant, brilliant question. And the reason um, I want to pull that out and as a brilliant question is because more often than not, the end client, the advertiser, the person with the money is always taken as the ultimate client for every single part in that chain. Yeah. 
and it shouldn't be because if you're a tech company, if you're a data company, if you're a, a media owner, your customer is the advertising agency in most cases. Some clients come direct, but your your client is the advertising agency and the advertising agency's client is the client. So where problems always, always arise is when that order gets messed around. Mm-hmm. So I've worked at media owners where they have had the uh, approach from other countries. So Yahoo would be a classic example. We're going to bypass all agencies and we're going to go direct to client. That works in some markets. It works in some cultures. It certainly doesn't work in the UK. There were so many barriers for making that to happen. So I think I'm very fortunate in the fact that the company I work right now, and again, I want to talk more about that in a minute. We, The leadership team have just finished a three-month Mark Ritson mini MBA. And it's a 12-module course. Module one is really simple. Market orientation, understand your customer. Too many businesses, too many companies, too many individuals trying to develop a product or service or something which is brilliant in their minds. But unless you actually ask the potential customer, what do they want? What do they need? How do they want it? What makes them happy? You're almost ultimately going to fail because you have no idea. And if you don't even know who your customer is, you're screwed from day one. Yeah. So if you're a media owner or, or whatever, and, and, you know, we talked about Landmark Media, the consultancy that I, I, I launched and ran for several years. Um, I got that wrong. That was an absolute, I didn't understand my customer. I didn't understand what they wanted. I didn't understand what they need. It took me a while to get to that point. And when I did, that's when the aha moment came and it suddenly started. I thought your off. positioning of Landmark Media was phenomenal. Uh, well, thank you. I mean, it, 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 I would love to lie to you and say, I sat down with a piece of paper and said, I'm going to develop a pitch prevention business that does X, Y, and Z because that's what clients want. I didn't. I left a job where I was earning a lot of money and I didn't fit in in that organisation, so I chose to leave and that was the right thing to do for me, even though, you know, uh, there were challenges uh, financially for me making that decision, but it was the right decision for me and ultimately the company I left. But the point was I set up this business and I thought, well, I've been doing this for 25 years, 30 years, whatever. Clearly clients will want to tap into my magnificent brain about how I know everything about X, Y and Z. And it was launched, not necessarily through over-arrogance, but it was certainly launched with naivety. And the point was, as soon as I got to the point of understanding what customers wanted, which was nothing to do with me, apart from going around and asking a load of people, hey, I can do this, hey, I can do that, that's where the pitch prevention thing came in. And it was the CMO of, um, uh, well, I'm not going to say who it is for certain reasons I can't but it was he that came up and said oh what you're telling me is you're a pitch prevention company Mm. and what I realized was I was like aha actually you're right there is a need in the marketplace for pitch prevention no client really wants to go to pitch unless it's a statutory review yeah they want to stay with their agency but have a better relationship I commissioned a load of research uh, into it and it costs on average 250,000 pounds for every client to go through a pitch it takes a minimum of six months more importantly than all of that is that it has no guaranteed outcome of a positive event for anyone for anyone yeah apart from the intermediary that gets paid whether they stay with the incumbent Mm. or go with somebody else exactly so therefore it was a flawed model and so what i realized was that everything in my career to that point had kind of got to mediation because clients were saying the same thing i want more transparency i want openness i want honesty i want better products i want the best people in the industry to work on my account i want award-winning businesses and what the client the advertising agency wants was i want to be paid fair days pay for a fair day's money i want to have a closer relationship with the client so i can understand their business and i want to be able to make a difference in the world and sitting in the middle hearing both of those two sides saying roughly the same thing both parties could have what they wanted, but the client, to get that, they would have to pay more than 1% media fee, you know, these global conglomerates that sit there and say, I want all of this, we're the biggest in the world in this sector, we're the biggest advertisers on the planet, whatever. Nowhere do you ever hear that they're paying anything more than 1% to their agency, and yet they run their business on 20-30% margins. So, yes, you can have all of that, but you need to compromise slightly to make the agency be able to do that. Indeed. Equally, the client, need, the agency, 
just needed to change some of their behaviours, stop all of this over, uh, covert, behind the scene, overcomplication, overcomplication um, smoke and mirrors, yeah. smoke and mirrors, dishonesty, malpractice, lack of trust, all that. Change that behaviour, because if you get paid a fair day's pay for a fair day's work... You don't need to do it. You don't need to do it. Yeah, exactly. And there are so many agencies now that are actually falling... So pitch prevention was a real eye-opener because it was a gap in the marketplace. All you had mm. were two entities that were combating each other's side. Indeed, and yeah, you know, and from a so your two hundred fifty thousand pound cost there is that client side cost or is that agency? That would be client costs. I mean, forget we're not even talking the agency. So forget cost. The that agency. would be yeah. pounds, shillings, and sixpence yep. that the clients would have to allocate to be able to do this pitch process. That would include the intermediary fee. That would include the many, 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 many hours of. Uh, the CMO, the CFO, the finance team, the marketing team, the analytics yep. team, the performance team, all shoving in hundreds of hours to get yep. to the point through the process. You then pay the money to the intermediary, and that's what you've cost. Forget the amount of money and the intellectual property, which doesn't get costed out at all, when an agency spends all of that time pitching and doing all of that. Exactly. And the real kicker on all of this is always that whatever the £250,000 fee or whatever it is that the client is paying for the pitch process, inevitably, the CFO of the client will say, I want to save at least that amount of money with our new agency. Indeed. So you've got an agency that's being paid a small amount of money currently yep. that you allege aren't doing a good enough that job. That you need to replace that, you that need money. To replace, exactly. And you're going to go to a new agency that needs to be better, yep. but you're going to pay them even less. And it's going to drive even more of that bad behaviour. And but, it's going to drive even more of that bad behaviour. But I vicious think I, circle. It is. It's a vicious circle. But I think, actually, I should have um, chosen an earlier date um, to reference. If we're going for pounds, shillings and pence, then 1988 wasn't the right starting <laughs> point. But you're quite right. And it's bothered me for a long time in the industry that you know, we're supposed to be making things more effective and more efficient for people. But actually running expensive pitches costs everybody a lot of money because it's not just that one agency that's pitching. So you're £250,000 on the client side, you're £250,000 on agency number one incumbent perhaps, but then all the other five guys that are pitching for it as well. That's a lot of money in fees that will be recouped by the industry at some point in the future. So you get a pressure on the client that they're wanting to pay less fees in doing what they're doing, but at the same time, there is more money that needs to be recouped out of those client fees to pay for the pitch process. Cor it's a nightmare. Correct. But here's the contentious part of that. What would need to happen on the client side for them to get every single thing that they wanted, but to pay more for it? That was the question which I constantly kept pushing back to the clients. And what quickly came out of that process then was that clients fell into two categories. One that was marketing-led, one that was finance-led. So if the CFO is the real ultimate controller of that, inevitably it was about cost-saving. They yep. tended to care on different levels, ranging down to absolute don't care in the slightest jot, about the marketing communication, the marketing structure, the internationalization, the quality of the work, the different channels they work on. How much can I get all of that as cheap as possible? If it was marketing led, then, and, and I think, you know, the, the point here is that on both sides, both the clients and the agencies needed, they still do, need to be so much better understanding their target audience. Mm -hmm. So just because McDonald's goes up for pitch should every single agency out there pitch for it be it you know an interchange mcdonald's for whatever clients here if the agency knows their purpose yep. their structure their target audience and their client properly most agencies would not pitch for most clients they would just pitch for the ones that are right for them exactly and the ones that represent the 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 status and the and the values of that agency as well correct so you can be an expert and you can be a specialist in what you do correct and i would I've been in this industry now for 35 years, as you very kindly pointed out, um, uh, and understanding the Glenn Medeiros reference. But in that time, very few agencies can... I mean, clearly an advertiser can articulate their purpose, their brand, their responsibility, what their function is, what they do, and what they bring to the world. Most agencies don't have that identification. They are a media planning and buying agency that is normally driven by, I've got a gap in my portfolio of this particular sector where yep. I don't have a clash. Yep. So therefore, if McDonald's goes up for pitch, have I got Burger King? No, therefore I should go for it. Yeah. What benefit learning possibility or 
advocacy can that agency bring to that particular client, whoever that client is? There needs, I, th- I think, you know, again, age brings an awful lot of anecdotes, but I think a lot of this changed mid 90s when Sorrel decided to commoditize media and bring creative media and all of those together. Because we used to have planning agencies, media buying agencies, creative agencies, data agencies, insight agencies, and he commoditized it all. Yep. Where we are now, I'm seeing a real, I, we are all seeing a shift where it's going back to Sally Weaver doing what she does with um, yep. Craft as a planning agency, as a, as, a, as a planning agency. Creative agencies are springing up all over the place yep. and different models like Liberty Guild with John Williams, etc., are yep. doing brilliant things in that space. But we're now going back to what is right for the clients yes. rather than what is right for the shareholders of the agencies. Indeed. And I think what is right for the clients is having people who are experts in their fields advising those clients on what they need to do. Correct. 100%. Across the board. I mean, there are so many examples where... Um, and, and, and on that point, and I think, I think the, 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 the great thing about that is... Therefore, if you have no purpose and you have no function and you have no um, reason for being, the only thing that you compete on is price, and then it's a race to the bottom. Yep. <clears throat> you want to deliver value into what you're doing to avoid that commoditization. You, exactly. And if as an agency you are delivering value through price only, then yeah, what's the point? The client has made a mistake by going with you agree. in the first place. I agree. So that, that which is really good then, because you know, if this is what you're doing at, at that landmark and advising people to conduct their pitches properly if they needed it, but to avoid them in most instances because you don't necessarily do that. You've then moved into from that role into the what's possible group. Now, is it is it a, is it an identical role or is it a development of that? How, what, what what's the difference? It is a development of that, and it, it kind of led into into this role anyway. So, um, I was happily bibbling along with landmark media um and i was very fortunate to be working with bibbling is an old england word apparently (laughs) (laughs) bibbling is an old word for somebody in their 50s that would say that so you know i was very blessed and fortunate to be working with uh, vodafone coty rimmel i was working with agencies like beamley and total media i was working with media owners etc and the ceo of uh what at the time was the specialist works martin woolley had, I don't know how, but heard about what I was doing and um, had a client success function um, in the business, uh, which I don't, I didn't fully understand when he contacted me, but uh, the lady that was doing it uh, was leaving on to go on to new pastures new. And so he contacted me and he said, look, we're looking for somebody to come in on a three month contract. We'd love you to do an assessment of where we are between our clients and our agencies just to do, have an honest relationship Uh, assessment Um, and that in itself blew my mind because most agencies in fact most businesses let's not sort of even limit it within um, uh, the advertising sector most businesses believe they do fantastic work and pat themselves on the back and go our clients love us our clients think we're great we're delivering this we've got the biggest amount of profit we've had for x years with being innovative with throwing new things into the marketplace we're fantastic what Martin realised was that that may be true, but I don't really know if it is true because the only feedback points I've got are the client-facing people at the business yep. who are judge and jury, scoring their own homework. Absolutely, filtering their own news. Filtering and their of own course news. I'm great. And of course I'm great. I'm oh. doing a brilliant job and oh. our clients love me. So Martin um, uh, contracted Landmark Media to come in and do an assessment and find out, is this true? And it was um, it was fair to say that I, I didn't know really how to handle it because we as individuals like to tick boxes. As human beings, it's natural to go tick box here. And I didn't know, am I working for the client here or am I working for the agency here, but the agency's paying me here and I'm not sure. Anyway, what, what became very apparent very quickly is if you went and asked the clients at that time, uh, how are we doing? What's the, how is the agency doing? What's going on? Explaining my role. I'm an independent that sits between the agency and this, and I'm just doing this research. What came back was extraordinarily, overwhelmingly positive. You guys are doing a great job. Well, why are we doing a great job? Well, you're doing a great job because you listen to what I'm saying. You care about this, the fact that this role Sorry, exists. what was that? 
Oh, so crab very good, about this. Very no, good. I've got to get one or two in. Oh, no, please do. Please do. <laughs> um, stops me rambling and going down a rabbit hole anyway. But, um, but so I started this role as a consultancy for the Specialist Works. And then COVID hit. And then March 24th, 28th, whatever date it was, 2020, I was three months in. And I was like, oh, crap, how's this going to work out? I'm a contractor. First thing that's going to go is the contractor. And the board saw something that they, they tell me was value that I was adding and contribution to it. And that's when uh, Martin turned around and said, look, we would very much like you to join the company as client success director, managing partner for client success. And that's when it kind of went a little bit sort of strange for me because it was like, well, what is that role? I don't understand that role. It doesn't exist anywhere else. What does that mean? So you, I'm the chief client officer. No, you're not the chief client officer. Well, why aren't I chief client? You're telling me I speak to clients every day and I have to speak to the CMOs and I have to understand what their pain points are and what keeps them up at night and all that sort of stuff. He goes, yeah, but you're not the chief client. You don't own that relationship. The relationship with the CMO is with the account director who looks after that business. Your job is to understand what keeps the, them awake at night, feed that back and make sure that we're delivering. Mm. And Martin said something which has really led me now for the last two and a half years. And he said... Never forget, we are in the customer happiness business. And as soon as I heard that, it just was like a light going on. And it was, aha. So all motivations come from that phrase. All motivate Our entire philosophy as a business comes from that. So when I do an onboarding session with either co-workers that are joining the business or new clients that are, uh, we win through pitches or, or new CMOs that join, the first chart that goes up, just says we are in the client happiness business martin woolley ceo what's possible group um just to add just to explain the what's possible group we uh restructured uh, nine months ago um summer of 2021 into a much more defined business which has a uk media planning and buying agency which is tsw a marketplace for um uh, business to business transactions, which would be connections. We have Hubble, which is our international division, and we have Pin Target, which is our hyper local uh, business. And they sit within the group, so we're a group structure. And that's that's just to explain the difference um, between TSW and what's possible group. But if you look at it, and and this this was my journey of education within the group, that if you start with we're in the customer happiness business as a philosophy everything thing else mm. falls into place and is secondary to that so can we deliver quality for that client if the answer is yes if the answer is yes then they work with us if they work with us they stay with us if they stay with us they spend money if they stay with if we spend money we're profitable if we're profitable then the staff make bonuses and we make salary and we make growth and we have the ability to grow but rather than many places i've worked before which is we're in the money grabbing business yeah secondary to that let's try and make the clients happy and if they're not happy how do we either get rid of them quickly or abuse our relationship to get as much money out of them as possible if you start from the principle very simply of we're in the customer happiness business everything else just falls into place and um, you're immediately going to be aligned with the client on that as well because they're going to want the same thing yeah absolutely now that's not just i mean you know you and i are parents and not That's together. Not. It's 2022. We can yes, do I know, we, but we're not. We, you know, we can do what we like, but, it, but we're not. Yes. Um, but that that aside, um, that doesn't necessarily mean that clients always right, and that's the real joy to my role, yeah. which is that I am very, very firmly an intermediary, effectively that just so happens to be paid by the What's Possible Group, but I'm an intermediary between the client. And the agency. Now, very briefly, what does that mean? It means, first of all, that I report directly into Martin because if I reported into the commercial team, there would be this is the difference between a chief client officer and what I do. A chief client officer at most agencies has an incentive to sell more products, get more profit, get more spend, upsell, cross sell, back sell, anything to get more money out of that client. My only KPI is how happy is that client when they interact with us. That's it. So it's not a chief client officer role. But my point is that I sit there and sometimes it, it, it goes back to that point that you were talking about earlier on about who's the client. Is it the media owner? Is it the agency? Is it the um, uh, client themselves, the advertiser? Where I sit is 99% of my time is I'm listening to clients saying, I am happy, but I really 
would like this bit improved. And I'm hearing from the agency going, oh, yeah, but I'm already delivering that. Well, you're not delivering it. There's a disconnect somewhere. There's a disconnect, right? So you, the agency, are not delivering it. They may want to report on a Thursday you're delivering it on a Friday. They've told you five times you've just not heard it because you're too close to the business. They're telling me that. Can you change that? Yes. But equally, sometimes it's not the client. You need to change. You... You're telling us you want X, Y, and Z, and you need us to do that. But realistically, you're only giving us two days to yeah, turn a brief round. Yeah. So, in essence, what I'm doing now is exactly what I was doing in pitch prevention, which is making sure that the clients are happy, listening to both sides, arbitrating in some cases, but just gently steering in other cases. And taking the assumptions away that both sides are making, so that that relationship is more fruitful and more effective. Correct. And I, th- you know, I, th- I think the KPI of success, which is not... The KPI of success for me as an individual, but us as an agency, was that in 2021, out of 100 plus clients that we have that are part of our uh, client family, we had three that left us. Now, that in any year is a ridiculously low number. It's tremendous. But it's born out of the fact that twice a year there's a client satisfaction survey, four times a year there's a phone call from the managing partner for client success. We listen, we change, we react, and we try our best to make the client happy. One of it, It's a very similar mentality. One of our uh, uh, clients is AO.com, and what they do as a business, uh, obviously, is deliver appliances online, but the lorry drivers, the delivery drivers, who are normally suited and booted in company colours, they're incredibly smart, they are... Um, they have the freedom from John Roberts, the founder, to do the right thing. Mm. Now, I know name of this podcast let's do the right thing they are empowered to do the right thing what's the right thing you would do for your grandmother so if they deliver a washing machine that's late if they deliver a washing machine that's slightly damaged if they deliver something and the customer service wasn't where the client wanted to be they have the freedom to do the right thing for that client they don't need to ask permission they don't need to go to their billionaire founder to say oh gosh i'm going to write off 400 pounds whatever it may be they just do the right thing they're one of the most successful businesses of the last 10 years it's just simple. Just put the client Indeed. first. Do, do, do the right thing. <laughs> we we, we, right we kind of like that. Um, I've got. I've got to say, actually, that AO is one of my favourite brands because this will age me now as well. That with a soundtrack in there as by the Ramones, that absolutely plays directly into my youth <laughs> and my record collection. So, so Ramones versus Glenmadiros here. Um, so that, you know, I, and, and I can see the success that's coming in the group. Um, you know, and through you and through that role and big bringing clients and agency together um, is is a phenomenal thing. But the What's Possible group is doing amazing things at the minute. It seems. I mean, is there a secret source that it has? Are, are you that secret source? No, no. The What's Possible group is bigger than anybody individual. Some of the parts, all of all of that sort of stuff. There are. I. I I am blessed and privileged with the job I have right now and to work for a company that is visionary in so many ways. And I think Martin Woolley and Parry Jones as the two CEO and deputy CEO um, continue to blow my mind as to how the business is structured, the ambition, the growth. And I think, you know, last year during a pandemic, we had our biggest growth. We took on a hundred and something people. We have three offices in the UK, one in Dublin, a couple in America. Um, the, the secret sauce is just doing the right thing. So um, Martin often quotes uh, an idol of his, which is Dolly Parton. Know who you are and be brilliant at doing it. Oh, I thought you were going to say only work nine till five there. Very good. You know. Very good. Very good. Which is, um, well, work, work-life balance and all that sort of stuff. We can talk about that within the work to life. But the, the, the point there is that we're, as I said before, we're in the client happiness business as a philosophy. It's really straightforward and simply guiding as to how all of us from the front end people in the pitch process through to the fantastic people in the finance team through from the um, the research data and insight team through to the creative team. We're in the client happiness business. So what do we have to do? We don't do, so, so important thing here, right? We don't do timesheets. We don't do um, any form. We, we have an assessment as to how... Uh, good our clients are in terms of to work with and all of those things but if it means that we have to put more resource onto that client it doesn't always mean that it has to be through oh we have to change their contract and we can't do that we've hit our threshold of 
27 hours a week, whatever it may be, working on that client. But th there are various things that the group is doing right now, which makes me incredibly proud to be part of it, but also as an observer, just the client success role, right? I've never seen or heard this anywhere else. There's a similar role within the tech community, which is client success, but that is more about one to many people. It's normally in the tech structure. It's normally within uh, challenges within uh, this technology doesn't do that, so let's quickly develop it. It's almost an engineering function, but it doesn't exist anywhere else. But equally, we have taken on a, an in-house psychotherapist, and that's not a tokenism. That's not a tick box exercise it was a recognition that this is a bloody hard industry to work in there's an awful lot of turnover in staff there's an awful lot of stress in the world right now specifically in the last two weeks and specifically in the last two years um but we have so much and, and this and what i'm leading to here is that from an internal point of view the support for the staff is phenomenal it's a staff-led internal business so we have all the sorts of holidays that you would expect. There is support, there is um, in-house psychotherapy, we have um, additional holidays for paternity, uh, extended maternity, far greater than what the uh, government regulations or the minimum regulations are. We have uh, menopause holidays, if, you're, if, if that's affecting your life, there's mental health uh, support and everything else. That's the internal stuff. Mm -hmm. That's not the stuff that wins us business, but that's the stuff that helps support the staff the stuff that's winning the business and the stuff that's helping us grow is the fact that we know who we are. We yeah. are a home for dynamic, growth-minded marketers that want to go on a journey. So I think, I think you've all, sorry to just jump in there, but I think I want to bring back to Ritson that you mentioned earlier on. I, I think it's fascinating that the group has put the leadership team through the Ritson MBA. One of the issues that I've had with the industry for a very long time is that it is unqualified. We have the ability to spend clients' money at will, um, often with, with motivations that may or may not be the right thing, but it's not engaging with a client from a business conversation. It's a transactional conversation on, on media. Now, if you are all going out and being qualified and bringing an MBA equivalent into what you do, you have a much closer understanding of what clients are looking for anyway. 100%. I mean, I couldn't believe it when... Um the the board announced that the leadership team were going to be doing this. And this is 12, 15, 20 people, whatever it is, that have done a three-month course on this mini-MBA. Again, if you're in the client happiness business, first of all, you need to check how happy clients are. That's what my job is. Independent sits outside, don't mark your own homework. But the second part is you need to understand those clients to understand what keeps them awake at night, what are they doing, how are they working out, how are they reacting to global challenges. And the, I mean, I mean, just slight tangent to that is that one of the very positive outputs of my role is that I'm able to, I speak to every single one of our 100 plus CMOs on a quarterly basis. Now, that a personally allows me to be uh, incredibly privileged to understand their businesses, but also it puts me in an elevated position to understand trends and insights and analytics that are happening across the board. So if one client turns around to us and says, I'm having a problem with, so, so he's, he's a real life problem, right? So in the last 12 months, the cost of shipping um, from the Far East has gone up six times uh, what it was a year ago. They then get that stock to the ports of the UK. They then have to pay demurrage charges, which means that the um, uh, the stock is left there for a couple of days, which they have to pay the fees on the ports to do that. There is a lack of uh, forklift truck drivers. There's a lack of lorry drivers to get it to distribution centres. They get it to distribution centres. There's a lack of lorry drivers to be able to get it to the retail shops. All of that is not something that's just affecting one client. It's affecting all of our retail clients. So with that insight... What, that, what does that allow us to do? First of all, it understands their business. Secondly, it allows us to understand the pressures of them as a business, not just from an advertising point of view. And thirdly, in some cases, it allows us to... I don't want this to sound Machiavellian because it, it's absolutely not. It's a solution rather than, a, than an opportunity. But it allows us to embed ourselves closer to the advertiser and go, well, we know you've got this pain point because 12 of your other people in this sector are telling us the same thing. How can we help you pull that together? Or more importantly, how can we introduce you to the other 10 clients in that problem yeah. to, get, to work together? So when, when the board came and said, we're going to put the entire leadership team on the Ritson um, uh, mini MBA, it wasn't, oh, oh God, where's another tick box to go through? It was genuine excitement from a leadership team going, I now want to understand 
our clients what their pain points are and what keeps them awake at night. And where we are now is, is, is extraordinary because in many cases, we are now at least on paper more educated about marketing theory than a lot of our clients are who have spent 15, 20 years at the same place and growing up. That also puts us in an incredibly powerful position to be solutions orientated to say, well, actually, exactly. we can help support you on this, that and the other. I'm looking at a much bigger picture. I, I, I get it. It's great. <laughs> it, it, it is. And that's why, you know, it is very forward thinking, very innovative that I've worked at many places before where, first of all, this wouldn't have been part of the leadership development program because it would be inverted commas too expensive. But the second part of it is that it would also be a tick box exercise to just to be able to PR a tweet that say we've just done this. Exactly. And it's much bigger than that. It's about doing the right thing and getting closer and getting better results for everyone. I I, I see it and it's wonderful. And it's it's really good to see, you know, to see your your vision coming to light within the group and it's great to see the group growing and you know and actually we, we can we can talk about this a bit now given that this probably won't be airing for a little while but one of the things that really exciting me about what WPG are up to right now is launching an investment arm and with that investment arm comes investment in new businesses one of which may or may not be a contemporary media agency serving um, fashion leisure and entertainment clients I mean, what do you think about that one? <laughs> well, um, funny I should ask. Funny you should ask that, uh, Mr. Hopkinson. But I think, you know, so let's take it back to the core part here. We're in the client happiness business. If there is a need, and importantly, a feedback. Okay, let, let, let me link together three things we've talked about so far. First of all, if you understand, if you know who you are as a business... It allows you to lead yourself forward and be able to define what you want to do as a business, uh, how you want to behave, how you want to react and how you want to grow. Second part of that is if you know who you are and you also know who your customers are or your clients are, it gives you an incredible power. It's what Ritson calls the market orientation part, right? So understanding who your customers are. Thirdly, if you understand what your customers want, you then have a very privileged position to be able to give them what that may be. That's to answer your question, then as a group, as a media business or a group of media companies, that then allows you to know that clients are looking in this area, mm-hmm. that area, they're looking for this, or there's a gap or a niche over there. We are not, we, we, we are fully independent, therefore we're not shareholder-led um, in the fact that we don't have KGAR to hit and uh, dividends to pay out and that sort of stuff. So therefore the decisions that are made by the group are made for the benefit of our clients. Mm -hmm. So developing an investment arm of the group to start looking at how we can grow client happiness outside of what we do as our core business is absolutely the natural and correct extension uh, to do the right thing. So, you know, that could be we, we don't do CRM, we don't do uh, CRO, we don't do um, fashion, entertainment and leisure. We don't do um, specific areas around data. That could be areas of investment yeah. outside of that. So, again, it's it, 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 it comes back to a very simple philosophy that if you're in the client happiness business, understand who your clients are and give them what they need. Indeed. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. 
Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Now, theoretically, if there was an agency like that launching into fashion, entertainment and leisure, what piece of advice would you give them? So I have been blessed with an awful lot of people that have given me advice. And I think it's something you and I were talking about earlier, which was that uh, when you set up your own business, there are a whole bunch of people that will give you advice for free that you don't want and in some cases don't need. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of people that won't give you advice unless you ask them and you ask them and it's fantastic advice. The So what I've learned over the last few years through that process is the one piece of advice I personally would give to a new agency starting out right now would be if that agency is, for example, a fashion, entertainment and leisure branded business, my advice would be stick to that purpose mm-hmm. and don't try and deviate from it with any short term. There will be, in fact, Martin and I were having this conversation about something else literally yesterday and we were both on the same page about it. And what he said was, there are too many times in both of our careers that we have, it is easy to be distracted by short-term money mm-hmm. and then look back at it and think, damn, that was the wrong thing to do. So find your purpose, stick to it, and the rest will follow. And be, be specialists and experts in it. Be specialists and experts. Be yeah. bloody good at it. Going back to his Dolly Parton quote, find out who you are and do it on purpose absolutely stick to that and don't get distracted with there are opportunities over there that we could we should we would etc if you've got your purpose and everything else sorted out stick to it religiously you will make clients happy the rest will follow so build it and they will come okay well then i should impart that advice to whoever may be <laughs> requiring it um given that we're on advice at the minute um is there a is there something that somebody has told you along the way that just keeps coming back and resonating and going yeah yeah it, it it's taken me again it's taken me a long time to realize how important this advice was there are two one of the best bosses i've ever had in my entire life is a guy called mike gull who was the uh, sales controller at gmtv back in the day um fantastic fantastic guy for a multiple of reasons he sat me down at the age of 21 and said you need to do a pension. And I'm like, I'm 21, what the hell are you talking about? He goes, do a pension. I'm telling you to do a pension. I was like, oh God, it's 5% out of my salary I'm earning. Whatever. And he did. But the, the advice he gave me in my career, it was two things. And I listened to the first bit. I wasn't sure about the second bit. But now, the two pieces of advice are, one, don't be a dick. And the second thing was, always do the right thing because you'll never regret it. And I think those two things are not mutually exclusive. I think there are many people that I have worked with and for who have been complete and utter dicks. Their motives may have been the you, right thing. You, you looked at me specifically there when you said that word. <laughs> I, I don't think I've upset you yet. <laughs> you, you have never upset me and you never could. But the, the, the people I'm thinking of specifically are so in a little category of their own, my friend, that uh, that's the thing. But the, the, the point is, even if you've got to make the a tough decision, if you do it in the right way and you are not a dick about it, you will be able to sleep at night. They will be able to sleep at night and the whole thing. And I think I can give you... Many, many examples of which I won't. I'll, I'll, if, I, if I may, I'll give two examples where this has really led me in the last few years. The first one was I was a global chief revenue officer for a tech company that was doing all of the DMP, DSP, uh, interactive planning and buying for P&G mm-hmm. globally. And we had offices and I was responsible for everything outside of North America. So I looked after UK, Germany, France, Italy, Spain, India, China, uh, sorry, not China, uh, Japan. And... Um, it was a fantastic, fantastic job, uh, and I loved it. Um, 
the challenge was the Japanese entity was losing around £100,000 a month. We had about 10, 12 people out there and it was losing £100,000 a month. Now I knew what the right thing to do was, so always do the right thing, which was we need to give it six months for them to change and for them to uh, try and turn this around, which we did. And I spent a lot of time out there working with them on plans, but ultimately it didn't turn around. And so the right thing to do was to close that office down. Now, there are two ways you can do that. You can just send them an email. Well, you couldn't do that. I mean, I literally wouldn't allow myself to do that, but mm. you can do it from a rose-tinted office in, in the UK and ring them up and say, guess what, funny story, ha, 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 you're out. Yep. Um, I didn't. I didn't want to be the arse that did that. I wanted to do it properly. So I out my own pocket. And this isn't about me, by the way. This isn't about this. This is about how decisions should be made and done the right way. So I paid for um, a Japanese uh, business uh, consultant to come in to explain to me how I should do this respectfully, Mm -hmm. with dignity and culturally in the right way. And they explained some things which are just really obvious. Fly out there and tell them to their face, face face, face to face. Secondly, culturally being fired in Japan is a very, very serious thing and you don't want to do it. So the outcome had to be the same, but the way to do it was the right thing. So I flew out there and I, w- I what we devised was I got the whole team down, I explained the situation and I said, look, you guys have been losing £100,000 a month equivalent. We've tried to work it out. It's not working out. And unfortunately, we're going to have to close this office. So in two hours time, I will be telling you that this office is closing. However, if you would like to resign en masse you would still get bonuses, payments, Mm. uh, notice period and everything else, but you will retain the right to say that you left the company rather than the other way around. And that was done and we handled it in the right way. So even when making tough decisions, just do the right thing and don't be a dick about it. Don't be a dick. Do you know, it's um, it's on the the walls of Gymshark as well. Yeah. Massive letters, don't be a dick. And I, I think they've done quite well recently. I, I, I yeah. you know, with a billion pound valuation yeah, for somebody that's 27 years exactly. old. I think he's struggling through and he's being fine. But it's... God, that would have been... <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think when you and I were 27 with a billion pounds, I don't think... Yeah, I wouldn't have reached 28. <laughs> <laughs> and I wouldn't have a billion left either. But uh, yeah, I, I, so I think that's the, that's the advice which I try and live my day by um, there will be people who say that I'm a dick and there will be people who say that I've not done the right thing but I try to do it for those things bear with me on this this is a little bit of a um, bit of a left field thing here but I've been thinking quite a lot recently about Ukraine um, and specifically because the heroic and now if he's listening cringing Matt Longley has just got back from a trip there to help relocate refugees I think what he's done is wonderful and I, I really do hope that more people do more than just stand with Ukraine but it got me thinking about what the industry can do to help here I saw a video from the Telegraph which really piqued my interest and it was showing content being circulated from the war in the east that was apparently showing a Russian MiG fighter jet being shot at by Ukrainian tracer bullets which had appeared on news outlets around the world but it was actually from a Rainbow Six computer game so my question here is what do you think that we need to do as an industry which we are funding through advertising to ensure that the media is delivering the right thing. It's, it's a really tough one. It's, I mean, it's really tough. And there's no... We need to behave responsibly. We need to stamp out fake news. We have to do all that we can to self-regulate. I'm not a fan of regulation uh, through... By law. By law. No, no. I'm, I'm not. It, it, it's... But there needs to... There has to be controls in terms of yeah. making sure there's I responsibility. I agree. So, you know, however, having said that, having said all of that, this is the first uh, regional conflict. Is that the fair? This is the first regional conflict where we are seeing a very different war being fought out, Mm -hmm. Um, non-military, more sanction-led. But more importantly, which is more fascinating through all of that, is the use of social media and other... So Elon Musk flying in different satellites to be able to broadcast the truth across yep. um, um, Russia. The fact that social media is the... We're seeing in real time what's going on. We're seeing how slow war is. We're seeing the horrors and atrocities. So 
Where do you ban that? Where do you control that? Where do you limit that? And how do you stop it becoming propaganda? Oh, I agree. And, and it goes back to what you said earlier on about everybody has to have the attitude of doing the right thing and indeed looking at the bigger picture. And, you know, the bigger picture here for us is that we've got the... You know, we're looking in a world of advertising to start with. We broaden that out into media and general comms and we build that out into a worldwide platform where everybody is trying to do the right thing. Um, and, you know, just to round off, I've got a little dig. Um, you and I were at the rugby, the 32-15 uh, England-Ireland game. I lost a bet um, with a pound a point difference. So there you are, Mark. There's 34-50p's. There's your £17, you bastard. Oh, just for the people who can't see it, there Indeed. are actually 34 cents. There really are. There. Yeah. Uh, went to the bank this morning to get them out of HSBC, told them that I was settling a bet, and they thought it's quite amusing. But anyway, there you go. Thank you, <coughs> bastard. Petty bastard. Thank you. Yeah, and like, I wanted to say thank you, Mark. It's been a pleasure talking to you. It always is. Um, thank you for your support and coming in here. Um, it's great to see you so happy. Thanks, mate. It's uh, it's an honour to be here on this. Uh, I mean, very esteemed uh, people that you've interviewed already. So thank you very much for the opportunity. I'm very honoured. So um, thank you. Abs absolute pleasure. Um, and just finally to round off, it does seem appropriate that, um, to say that Mrs H, my wife, has just given me the green light to head back out to Krakow with Matt Longley in a couple of weeks to, to help him do another round of refugee relocation. So, you know, I think my last words here will be let's do the right thing. Thank you for listening to Let's Do The Right Thing in association with RadioWorks, the UK's largest independent radio advertising agency. Let's Do The Right Thing is a Maple Street creative production devised and presented by Adam Hopkinson. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.